today on Ag News Daily. Smax Tech kind of prides itself on being one of the premier technologies as it relates to early detection of health diseases. Um, so with our unique internal measurements uh, of different metrics, we're able to really fine-tune protocols on farm to help producers um, address issues that are coming up with their cows before the disease really takes its full hold. October 17th, 2023, Tuesday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Looking forward to giving you some of the latest news and headlines this morning with Delaney, right, Delaney? I can't wait, Tanner. <laughs> there was a load of sincerity in that comment. Well, I'm still trying to wake up a little this morning. You got me going earlier than usual because you're out trucking during the day, so we're trying to record earlier. It's a little challenging. Stay, stay safe. <clears throat> That's yeah. correct. Well, some of our listeners might not get a very early start because they are seeing the after effects of some frost from overnight. We still have frost advisories and effects for eastern Kansas, northwestern Missouri, counties in eastern Oklahoma. According to the National Weather Service, uh, temperatures overnight fell as low as 36 degrees in the area, so not quite as low as we were predicting yesterday. Those advisories are also in part for southern Wisconsin. Tonight, they could see overnight temperatures dropping down to 32 degrees. Meanwhile, in South Dakota, high wind warnings are kicking back up. Gusts from or sustained winds from 25 to 35 miles per hour with gusts up to 55. Sudden wind gusts could cause drivers to lose control, but also could cause some damage to the standing corn that is yet to be harvested, Delaney. Yeah, it didn't really feel like we had any sort of a transition period. We went to 90 degree temperatures now to 32 degree temperatures, Tanner, and there wasn't a lot in between. That's correct. We went from summer to late fall. We missed the early fall portion. That's my favorite part. So it's a little frustrating being a fall person myself, but regardless of the cooler temperatures, we saw farmers push ahead another 11 percentage points in the harvest completion. As of yesterday's crop progress report, 45% of the U.S. corn crop is now harvested, two percentage points ahead of last year and three percentage points of the five-year average. Most notably, Iowa is at 72% harvested tanner, while Illinois is 52% done. And Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio are lagging, ranging anywhere from 14 to 17% finished. Conditions were also fairly stable this week and remain unchanged for the third week in a row, with 53% of the corn rated good to excellent. When we look at soybean harvest progress, that jumped ahead 19 percentage points and is now at 62% complete as of Sunday. This is 10 points, Tanner, ahead of the five-year average, Iowa being at 74% harvested, Illinois at 61, Nebraska at 70, and Minnesota at 76% completed. We are certainly seeing farmers get in and get out of the field. Conditions were rated 52% good to excellent, up one percentage point from the week prior. But this is still the current rating lowest good to excellent since 2012. We also saw winter wheat planting advanced 11 percentage points last week to 68% complete as of Sunday, Tanner. So farmers are getting in there and getting things done. 
you know, just like we talked yesterday with Jeff about those winter wheat acres and they stayed, you know, percentage of completion. If that end number is a moving target, I wonder if that figure ever gets to 100%, Delaney. You know, that's a good question, Tanner. And typically it doesn't because the USDA will stop doing reports at a certain time. I think it's usually end of November, somewhere in December. And we're not typically ever at 100% completion. Plus there's usually some acres that are abandoned last minute or some that get snow on them that have to maybe be harvested next year. So I don't think we ever really truly see it get to 100% finished. Gotcha. So I've got two quick updates on the stories that we did yesterday. Congress has voted repeatedly to constrain the spending for the conservation stewardship program. As I talked yesterday about what gets tossed into the farm bill, the University of Illinois Associate Professor Jonathan Copas has stated that he's been providing a warning signal for the funding of these programs. As you look at the projections for the farm spending for the CSP program, it had its lowest total acres of enrollment of 12.8 million acres a year. That was lower than when the 2014 farm bill was put into place. Projections for the CSP program have fallen substantially. According to the projections earlier, it was looking to peak at 2.5 billion in 2020, but the actual fiscal year report, Delaney, was 429 million, so only 17% of that budget. Lawmakers are earmarking $20 billion for the USDA's conservation reserve programs, and that's what's catching a lot of flack is the underutilization that we've had here over the last couple of years and what that indication is for um, the future of this bill. Also wanted to give a quick update on the citrus quarantine that is taking place. The HLB quarantine is now transferred outside of that county area and affecting some of Ventura County where lemon growers may have to cull some of their stock. The uh, long Bing disease that we reported on affects trees and fruits as it is transported by insects. The Santa Paula area and Ventura County are now going to be on high alert because some of the lemons and avocados in that region are now being affected. And unfortunately, due to these this discovery about the only options these producers have, is to destroy their crop. Otherwise, uh, they have to go through an intense washing process, Delaney, to make sure that it doesn't spread, even if that crop does make it to harvest-ready availability. So a couple of updates I wanted to share there. This is an interesting update that was not on my radar, but found it this morning as we look at other states now potentially following suit for California's Proposition 12. Massachusetts has what they call Question 3, which is very similar legislation to what we saw enacted in California. Now, Question 3 is a little bit longer and convoluted of a process, but given California's success with it, it sounds like recently more movement has happened here related to Massachusetts question three. This question three or Q3 as folks refer to it in slang or short term does very similarly put into place 
measures about how pork can be raised and what type of pork can be sold in the state of Massachusetts. It has very prohibitive definitions of confinement sows, veal calves, and laying hens in spaces too small for them to lie down, stand up, extend limbs, or freely turn around. And pork or products that don't meet those requirements can't be sold or transshipped through the state of Massachusetts, which is about $2 billion in pork that travels through Massachusetts to enter to other New England states. So that's the caveat here that's a little different from the Prop 12 that we see in California. So Q3 was filed, this is going way back, Tanner, but Q3 was filed originally by Massachusetts voters was passed in November of 2016. But as of recently, we've seen now Iowa attorney general, uh, attorney generals from 12 different states have now voiced opposition to the Q3 in Massachusetts. They just filed a lawsuit last week, Tanner, which included Iowa, Louisiana, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Utah, and Wyoming in support of not allowing this Q3 to go through in Massachusetts. They said it's really radical to ban hogs and ban pork producers from being able to sell their product there. And this is the strictest mandate that could go into effect and harm agriculture, but also consumers in the state. So we will see Tanner this now play out in the state of Massachusetts. Yeah, I'm glad that you provided a lot more depth to that headline than we saw last week. Uh, that's much appreciated. Still find it quite interesting that it can't even be trucked through the state. Uh, that would certainly be a very difficult thing to monitor. Well, I've just got a quick update uh, on uh, coming from Valiant before getting to some Israel updates for the last of my news for today. As the 2024 growing season approaches, Maverick, their herbicide can now be used to control your common weeds, such as Palmer amaranth and the annual grasses with a lot more flexibility. It has the opportunity to be provided or applied from pre-plant up to 18 inches and low use rates for field handling and mixing. The product's three key ingredients work together to effectively uh, extend that application window for producers. Things delayed and pushed back, weather causes issues. They are excited to announce that there is a lot more flexibility as far as application windows go. Wanted to get a couple of updates from Israel, or at least uh, from that area as we wrap up my section of the news for today. President Joe Biden will visit Israel on Wednesday. He seeks to demonstrate support, even though he doesn't have a lot of financial options until our government puts in new legislation. The World Health Organization is warned about imminent public health crisis due to not having water and power for several of the residents there. The displaced people from their homes are the ones that will be struggling hundreds of thousands of those people. Well, the state have died in Israeli airstrikes, the Palestinian Health Ministry is stating, and Israel is vowed to wipe out Hamas 
October 7th, the initial attack was 1,400, so almost double that initial attack figure now, Delaney. There are no signs of a ceasefire uh, as they cross into Gaza from Egypt. The crossing still remains closed, and we will continue to keep updates there, especially as President Biden plans to make his appearance. We'll see how that is received. Well, Tanner, I don't think I have any other headlines here really, except for a few that may impact the markets, including an export sale yesterday confirmed for the 23-24 growing season. About 8 million bushels of corn headed to Mexico and another sale, quick little sale here of 183,000 metric tons of soy meal headed to the Philippines, both sales for delivery during the 23-24 marketing year. Tanner, we also, of course, got news that ethanol continues to soar in 2022 and three as the Renewable Fuels Association shared about summer sales of E15 were up 15% in 2023 compared to 2022. And as Jeff mentioned, uh, ethanol really could be a bright spot here moving forward for the corn industry, but it certainly wasn't in the overnight markets here as December corn traded down a quarter of a cent at 489 and three quarters. New crop soybeans up seven and three quarter cents here in the overnight at 12.94. Chicago December wheat down four and a half cents in the overnight at 5.72 and three quarters. December red winter wheat down a penny and a quarter at 6.67 and a half. December spring wheat down two pennies at 7.26. And a quick look at where markets ended yesterday. Of course, they were in the red as December live cattle shed 20 cents at a buck 86.55. November feeder cattle down $1.65 at 2.49.92. And December lean hogs shed $1.20 at 68.30. Tanner, for today's interview, we're chatting with Smacks Tech about some new updates to their software, now integrating AI into detecting mastitis within dairy cows. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday, we're getting an exciting update today from Smack Techs with the customer, or excuse me, head of customer success for the U.S., Michael Geldy. Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. We're certainly excited to dig in more into the exciting updates that you all have there. Thanks for having me. I'm excited as well. So, Michael, I know we've had some other folks on from your company in the past. So before we get into the exciting announcements that you guys recently announced related to artificial intelligence, give us the 10,000 foot view of what the company does. Yeah, so Smacks Tech kind of prides itself on being one of the premier technologies as it relates to early detection of health diseases. Um, so with our unique internal measurements uh, of different metrics, we're able to really fine tune protocols on farm to help producers um, address issues that are coming up with their cows before the disease really takes its full hold. So um, by being able to utilize maybe less expensive preventative treatments, we can divert cows away from uh, more expensive treatments, especially things like antibiotics, um, which would have milk withhold and, and be more costly. Awesome. And so you recently announced that you launched some new artificial intelligence capabilities. I'd love to dig in and start there about how you went about developing these new capabilities and why did you focus on using AI specifically? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things when we look across the whole dairy industry is that, you know, we've been generating just an immense amount of data over the last, you know, number of decades. Um, at some point, we needed to start leveraging that data to bring more value to producers. So 
when you look at the history of Smax Tech and our ability over the last 10 years, roughly commercially across the globe, to, to generate data from the inside of cows, um, we were then able to take that data and then start to look at what are the trends. And that's where AI kind of started to, to take hold. So when you have that much data, we can start looking not only proactively, but retroactively and saying, okay, with cows that had, say, for example, mastitis, did they have consistencies in, in the parameters that we're measuring? Um, and if we notice those same parameters in cows in the future, can we more proactively alert uh, producers that there are suspected mastitis cases in their herds? Um, so it's a really exciting new way to leverage the data that our customers are already providing um, and honestly automate some of the work that they're automatically or they're doing already. So instead of having to interpret graphs uh, or data that we're presenting to them, we're starting to be more um, forward in terms of what the diagnosis potentially could be. So as you look at then, you know, going into this advanced health monitoring system for dairy cows, how does the AI technology actually work? So the primary focus when we look at this is going to be in temperature. Temperature is kind of the foundation of our system. So the, the bolus is taking measurements specifically in the reticulum. And what we know is that different diseases have different immune responses that you know present themselves differently in terms of temperature increases. So um, what the system is looking for is a very specific change in the core body temperature of these animals, um, especially uh, as it relates to other parameters we're also measuring. Um, but with the insights that the AI has, it can start to look and say very early, okay, you know, this temperature increase may not be related to metritis or some other disease that may have more systemic inflammation. This looks more like a mastitis case, and that's where the alert is generated. No, Michael, we do have some non-dairy slash livestock listeners. So I want to ask a clarifying question for them. When you say the bolus, uh, break that down a little bit further for us. Yeah. So it's a, it's a small device that is, um, you know, in the area of four, four and a half inches long, it's encased in plastic. It's administered via, via a, a device that goes down the cow's throat. It does not harm them at all. It's a regular practice in the dairy industry to provide other types of boluses, um, nutritional boluses, cage magnets to, to pick up any hardware that the cow might ingest. So we've kind of just taken that same technology that we've used for a long time and started putting sensors in a device um, that will live in the reticulum of the cow for, for the rest of her life. And that's where we take all of our measurements. Mm, awesome. I love that. Thanks for breaking that down for us a little bit further. So, you know, I think when it comes to artificial intelligence, there really are farmers that fall into the camp of they're a little nervous to use the technology or maybe don't fully understand how it works. And then it seems like there are farmers who are really excited, embracing it fully um, and ready to try new technology as it comes down the pipeline. But when you think about artificial intelligence and the training, and I'm sure the countless hours of R&D that you put into this, Walk us through the timeline from when you started using this and training this model to now actually being able to implement it. Yeah, so it's a it's a long time coming. When you look at um, SmackStack being a company that started in Austria, um, it was started basically as a research project um, to, to be able to take initially pH measurements internally um, without having to do uh, some sort of a test or a rumen draw or have a cannulated cow to be able to take those measurements. Um, since that point, we've been generating that data. Um, so as we've expanded throughout Europe, into the US market, into Australia and New Zealand, each new step just brought this massive amount of new data in. And that's where our data science team can really start putting their hands on the data, looking at the trends, training the models to, to look at the, the data in terms of uh, different diseases. Um, and it's exciting to even look at what is going to come in the future. Right now, our focus is primarily on mastitis with this AI alert. 
but this is going to continue to grow and, and identify different costly diseases on dairy farms and be able to, to deliver even greater insights. And, and one of the better benefits of artificial intelligence is this isn't a static alert. So as we continue to not only generate more data from the boluses, but generate more data in terms of feedback from you know, the producer directly putting information into our system or collecting data from other data streams uh, with the permission of the producer, um, the alerts are only going to get more intelligent as we continue to, to grow uh, with this system. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You mentioned that the alerts will continue to learn and adapt because they're using artificial intelligence, I assume, to do that. How, how does the system actually kind of learn the data and adapt and, and grow? So I think about it kind of the same way I got a young child right now who's learning to ride a bike. So as the system is running, um, you know, with, for anybody who's had a kid that they've learned to ride a bike, they have to go and try things. And then we have an immediate feedback loop. Um, you don't pedal fast enough, you fall over. Okay, I need to try something different. Um, I'm going to, you know, do something different with how I handle the handlebars. Um, the same way the system is working the same way. So as we release the system, we know that no system is 100% accurate. So if we generate alert and a customer, you know, checks the cow, confirms that that cow doesn't have mastitis, um, as that feedback then also goes into the system and says, hey, we see this, this is actually not a mastitis case, um, or we see a positive mastitis case. And the system is taking all that information in and is then gonna, gonna incorporate all that information into future evaluation of the parameters that we're measuring. So um, basically the idea is that we shouldn't make the same mistake twice with artificial intelligence. Um, so every edge case or individual use case that comes up that might be a little bit strange for our system to understand, it'll get that immediate feedback and not make that mistake again in the future. Mm, that's a really great analogy. I like the riding the bike analogy that really helps, I think, put it in perspective for me as well as our listeners. So Michael, when you look at commercial launch of this new technology, are farmers now starting to adopt it on their farms? Yeah, we had a, a small group of test customers, both in Europe and the US, who had it for a couple of weeks before our public release. We got very, very positive feedback from them. And uh, the public release to all of our customers actually occurred on Monday. And we've had uh, a lot of very, very positive feedback already. And the fun part about it is not only that we're releasing new features, the customers are excited, but it gives us an opportunity to go back and actually look at what management is, is looking like on all of our customers. This is a new workflow that we can introduce to the parlor staff, to the management team, to anybody who's interacting with the system to be able to act more quickly. And as I said before, the, the quicker we act, we can use less expensive treatments, be immunosupportive, help the cow overcome those challenges with her natural immunity and divert away from our more expensive and more costly treatments. Awesome. So I think final question for you, Michael, is you indicated you've started in mastitis here for the dairy space, but are there other health focuses you're going to be looking at here to develop in the near future as well for the dairy industry? Yes, it's it's too early to say what the next disease in our Health Plus initiative, uh, the True Advice Alerts, will be, um, but the plan is to continue to, to deliver new alerts uh, for uh, other costly diseases that are occurring on dairy farms. And as soon as we have them validated to a point that we think that they are viable as features, we'll release them out to our customers as well. Um, so really, this is just the beginning. We know that mastitis is an extremely costly disease on a lot of dairy farms. So it, was, it made a lot of sense to start with this alert. But these alerts will only expand as we continue to grow. Awesome. Well, we're excited to see where the future of Smax Tech heads. And thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Well, there we go. What a great conversation to have. We've got more coming this week, listeners. We uh, enjoy you hanging around with us. Of course, if you've got a guest that we should interview, please send them our way. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.